Hello, everybody. Welcome back to a very special edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast, a midweek edition to reflect on the news that Norwich City have a new sporting director. And that person, as I'm sure you're all aware, now is Ben Napper, who is a loans and pathway manager at Arsenal. He'll be joining the club officially at the end of November with Stuart Webber uh, staying on in, 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 a, in a handover type of situation before he then transitions out of the out of the football club. What we understand that will that will take place before the January transfer window, and then the January transfer window will be solely down to Ben Napper. So we're we're gonna have a, a little pod to reflect, give our thoughts, our feelings, your thoughts, your feelings. Um, we've we've kind of gauged the mood of of City fans via social media, which I know isn't the only way to do it, but it's the quickest and, and, and maybe the best ways about uh, walking around the city of Norwich with a clipboard. Uh, and that's uh, that's what we've done. Uh, slight apology for me. I've got a little bit of a cold. You can put the violins away. It's all right. But uh, I might be a bit sniffly and, and sound a bit different than usual. But hopefully uh, I don't have like a mad coughing fit. If not, Paddy's going to have to fill. Uh, but we should be fine. I've got a nice cup of tea on the go. So that should be fine. Um, Paddy, we're, before we get into Ben Napper, I did want to mention because we're recording this on World Mental Health Day. And I think it's, it's worth mentioning uh, Norwich City produced a, a wonderful video this morning, a really po- a powerful, really poignant video um, about the impact of, uh, of mental health. So I think that's that's worth a mention, isn't it? Because um, it's got rightly a lot of a lot of praise for, for what they've done. I would encourage anyone who hasn't gone to who hasn't watched it yet to go over to to Norwich City's channels and, and, and to take that in. Um, obviously, some really important information there with the, the Samaritans. We saw them at the weekend do a lot of important work as well. They had the Samaritans on, on, on the front of their shirt. They led the way in the championship and tried to, to lead a campaign to, to raise awareness for it. So um, I just thought that was worth a mention, Paddy, because I think, you know, you've shared it, I've shared it as well. It's a, it's a wonderful video that they've produced. Tremendous work. Yeah, following on from... If you remember, um, it was around a kit launch last year, wasn't it? The Stephen Fry kind of takeover of socials as well. Very clever idea and really powerful in terms of the messaging. Um, and yeah, followed up with with that video. Yeah, a bit uh, well, like you, we, we was uh, we was sort of uh, out of commission this morning, so I only actually saw it at lunchtime for the first time. And uh, yeah, no, it's a fantastic piece of content um, and delivers it in a very powerful and compelling and an emotion emotional way because you know we work indirectly in football and and um you know it's, it's what we do for a living but whether you work in football or whether you're just you know it's Norwich is your passion and your release um it does underline you know that um yeah, that you're not alone and that, that, that there are others who maybe are struggling but maybe as that video underlines you you don't necessarily see it's it's there visible on the outside so yeah it just reinforces the messaging that um you know thankfully in 2023 we can talk about mental health and and the impact it has um and through talking and obviously if if you feel you need help there's there's clearly uh, bodies out there there's individuals out there there's professionals out there and you can seek that help you know Stuart Webber did a sit down or remote sit down with with the trust, wasn't it? The Canaries Trust um, and spoke openly and honestly and revealingly about his own sort of struggles with with mental health as well in the past. So, yeah, it doesn't matter whether you're you know you're him in what he does or whether you're no you're just an Norwich fan who goes to the games. You know, it, it, this issue can affect each and every single one of us. And uh, yeah, definitely give that a watch. And then obviously, if you feel you know that's giving you the trigger to go and, and do something about it if, if that's the situation in your own lives then then go and do it because uh 
you know, it's it's a massive issue, isn't it, in society that we all we all have to sort of deal with and grapple with now. Um, and the world moves at a breakneck speed nowadays with so many demands on our lives, personal and professional. And, um, you know, it's no surprise that because of the world we live in now, you know, people maybe do need to stop, take stock, reflect. And, and if they need support um, because they've seen something in, in content like that, then, then that has to be only a good thing, surely. Yes, absolutely. And a uh, hat off again to, to everyone at Norwich City who's involved in that. And as Paddy says, there are uh, numerous brilliant vehicles, particularly in, in Norfolk, um, to going in and, and dealing with these things and uh, and people you can speak to. So that's um, that's that's well worth a watch and, and, and reading all the information around that and to you know encourage people to to keep talking as is the, the most important thing as ever with, uh, with, with mental health. And I, I don't think that's necessarily even people who are impacted for it. I think that's just generally everyone uh, asking people if, if they're okay, as is the point of, of that video let's uh let's let's move on then to to ben napper paddy this is a, a really interesting appointment i mean we we heard uh last week that norwich were were pretty much there with, with an appointment of, of a sporting director so so it didn't come as a a huge surprise but the the profile the name it, uh, i guess that's that's the interesting bit that's that's the thing that was really relevant it's obviously a process that was triggered by stuart weber uh, handing in his resignation back in march um Norwich have, have taken their time. They've employed a recruitment agency. They've compiled shortlists. They've spoken to loads of candidates. Ben Napper has, has emerged as the name at the top of that list. Just give us first and foremost, before we delve into him and what he's about and, and, and the future as well, just give us your thoughts on on, on the appointment of uh, of Ben Napper and and, and from what you, we know about him, which isn't a great deal, what, what, what you think in, in terms of the, the type and profile of candidate that Norwich City have selected? Well, I mean, on the subject of profile, I mean, you did an excellent piece just mapping out how we've got to this point in terms of the starting point being Stuart Webber, making it clear that he felt the time was right now um, for him to to trigger that succession process, essentially. So if you haven't already read that, then just go, you know, pink and usual channels, app or brand site, and um, and you can f- find out almost the uh, every twist and turn of that, including, you know, some of the candidates who possibly were on those short lists, plural, um, from which Ben Napo has emerged as the chosen candidate. And uh, why is he the chosen candidate? Yeah, well, you're right. We don't, I don't think, unless you're a, you're an Uber football uh, disciple, uh, you probably, I certainly didn't know too much about him at all, if anything, really. Um, but but subsequently, since uh, confirmed it Friday evening, uh, I think we've, we've all done plenty of research subsequently. And uh, and you build up a picture allied to the fact that whether you didn't know him from Adam, the fact that he spent 14 years at Arsenal in a variety of increasingly senior roles to the point where the last three or four years he's been working in a very tight-knit group with Mikel Arteta there and, and Edu, their technical director, uh, in this loans manager role, um, which on the face of it, you might think, well, loans manager, because obviously Norwich have had experience with that with Neil Adams. So is that a like-for-like fit for the job that Stuart Webber is clearly going to be vacating. But if you dig a little bit deeper, understand the, as we do quite clearly, the the, the model at Norwich. And one pillar of that model is player trading and player development. And that's essentially the job that this guy has been doing um, for the last three or four years with a fair degree of success, it would, would seem, both in terms of developing players for Arsenal's first team, a team, a squad now, which are good enough to justifiably compete for the Premier League title. You know, products like Bakaya Sacco, Emil Smith-Rowe, William Saliba, all of those. Um, 
have been fast tracked under Ben Napper's guidance, and and then the other strand of that is players who possibly are not going to feature in Arsenal's first team, but were able to be loaned with a view to essentially raising their profiles so that they could then be sold uh, as a as a commodity. Essentially, make make no bones about it. And uh, two players spring to mind there. If you if you look at the last couple of windows, Joe Willock went to Newcastle, had a very successful loan period there. Then reportedly a £25 million move in summer of 2021. And, and then the most recent summer window were following Balagoon, who went and had a fantastic season in Liga and scored a lot of goals and has now got a big money move to, to Monaco. I think it is 35, £38 million I've seen. So both of those, Ben Napper's hand would have been on them uh, very clearly. So that is the first strand for me, um, you know, to find uh, an individual who has a good track record of developing. And if it's not for Norwich's first team in this instance now, then selling on talent, because essentially that was one of the pillars that Stuart Webber um, drove forward this strategy. And, uh, you know, we only have to stop and think, you know, from James Madison onwards, essentially, uh, right through to uh, Emi Buendia, maybe, maybe maybe pull, pull the, pull that timeline tighter together there and, and all the players in between, Jamal Lewis and uh, Ben Godfrey and, um, you know, obviously post Emmy Buendia and Max Aarons. And, uh, and really, unless things are going to dramatically change with with the Atanasio groupings increasing shareholding in terms of, uh, you know, pivoting away from a self-funded, um, self-generating type of model, and everything that we hear and see, and you look from afar at how he's ran the Milwaukee Brewers, that isn't going to change. Even if there is a different, if, if there is a different change, significant change in progress in terms of the shareholder mix, I don't think the underlying direction of travel uh, is going to change. So if that is the case, then there will be a, a premium on a and other individual coming into that role and being able to do that. Um, because they will need to generate funds from player trading. Um, because obviously the other pillar is that you put a team on the pitch, as Stuart Webber did two previous occasions, that is good enough to get out of the championship. You get in the Premier League and then there's another revenue stream, as we know, a very sizable revenue stream in terms of broadcast revenue. But that isn't a given. And certainly where they are at the moment, uh, there's no guarantee of that. So I think his, his abilities, clearly, his proven track record in terms of player development and player revenue generation, that will have st- stood him out as a as a, the leading candidate. And I think the other element, and again, it flows back into what we've seen now over the last two or three years in terms of what Norwich are trying to do is embrace data and the use of data and analysis um, to inform their decision-making across all areas of the business, be it player identification, player recruitment, player development, um, the actual in-game side of it, you know, analysis of games and results and individual performances within that. And again, Take a step back maybe from Ben Napper's last role at Arsenal, but he actually joined them as a, uh, an analyst. Uh, he had a similar first-team analyst role at Scunthorpe. Then he moved into those positions at Arsenal. Um, that was his background. He worked for a company called Prozone Sports, who were at that stage probably the, the industry leader in terms of providing data to football clubs. And it's you know it's interesting. We've just put a piece up uh, this afternoon, actually, uh, Tuesday afternoon, uh, again on, on the Pinkin sites. Go and read that. It's... It's an interview he did. Um, he's a former graduate of Hull University. He's gone back there and took part in a panel discussion um, within the last 12 months talking about his trajectory and um, 
and data and and how even in the 10, 12 years he's been working in football, the, the transformation in the use of data that clubs are now employing um, to almost get ahead of the curve. And, uh, you know, this guy is, by all accounts, highly regarded as a bit of a visionary in that field. And um, and in this, as you say, this panel discussion, you know, he, he, re- he really is quite an eye-opening segment about data. And um, he talks about how Arsenal had a, essentially a, a processing, computer processing plant in South Asia um, to, with data analysts and programmers and um, you know computer science personnel, and uh, just essentially massing massing data from as games all around the world um, to then interpret it into you know information that that clearly would 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 give Arsenal a competitive advantage, whether it was as I say in in the narrower field of recruitment or in terms of you know, progress on the field in, t- in terms of style of play and, and what they're trying to do. And uh, you know, as we sit here at the moment, Arsenal have just beaten Manchester City uh, in the Premier League. Um, they followed on very closely to the title last season, just fell short, but it would appear that they're going to have a real good go again. So even observing from a distance, Arsenal look like a club who are really leading this sort of drive for data and innovation. And within that, Ben Napper has been an intrinsic part. So, that's a long-winded way of saying what I think Norwich have got is somebody who really fits their model and where they are now and where they want to go to in terms of harnessing data to inform their decision-making and uh, and also in terms of recruitment um, to be able to generate significant funds because until they get back to the Premier League, that is going to be main, their main commercial driver, their main revenue driver. So that's obviously now we've learned a bit more about him, you can now see taking a step back to to Norwich's board, Norwich's owners, Mark Atanasio and his group. At the pro- at the point they were assimilating names, sifting through names, shortlisting names, interviewing candidates. Um, you can see why uh, this guy would have been very near to the top of the list. Indeed, and and the sporting director role is really interesting because, um, and I think it's shown by maybe some of the candidates that Norwich spoke to, which we'll speak to in a minute. Uh, we'll speak about in a minute, but they can kind of come from anywhere. To to be completely honest, Stuart Weber obviously came from a recruitment background. You have people who who come from a data background, like uh, like Ben Napper, um, a loans manager route as well, which uh, is isn't uncommon. I think is is worth stressing. Someone like Julian Ward, who is at Liverpool was their loans manager. Uh, David Ware, who is now at Brighton post Dan Ashworth, he was loans manager there as well. So it's, it's not an uncommon route to, to be loans manager into a sporting director. You can get people from a coaching background as well, move, move into those roles. So it, it really depends on specifically as a club what you are looking for. And I think it's been really clear, and we've heard Stuart Weber speak about it a lot more increasingly in, in the 18, last 18 months about data and the fact that Norwich have set up a data and innovation department. I think he's got um, eight members of staff headed up by Dr. John Iger. Um, obviously, that's something that, that the Atanasios have, have, and his group have, have helped with massively considering uh, where, where, where the Milwaukee Brewers are, as, as you mentioned, Paddy. So it's clear that Norwich were looking for someone who had a handle if I don't hit my microphone, a handle on data. Um, and, and and that is obviously a key reason why, why he's emerged. And, and we'll come back to data in a moment. But let's 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 now talk about the, the process. So Stuart Weber resigns in, in March. Um, we, of course, didn't find out about that until the summer when it was officially, uh, officially announced. I think there was uh, 
with hindsight a few teasers in the round of uh, in interviews that he did uh, and, and and plenty of whispers in the round that as well um what what do you make of the process because it, Norwich have taken their time I guess that's the luxury of having this 12-month notice period that Stuart Weber had it's kind of bought them a little bit of time um They've obviously spoken to a wide range of, of candidates. They've re- appointed a recruitment agency to try and get a handle on uh, the market and, and, and what out- options are out there because for the reasons outlined, sometimes, you know, you can't always... It's still quite a new role in England. I think that's probably worth mentioning. It's more common sort of in on the continent, but certainly in this country, whilst the, most clubs now in top flight and, and championship level have a sporting director, technical director, director of football, uh, one of those kind of football figureheads, they're still kind of graduating from other positions within the game, which is why there's such a broad feel of candidates that need to be narrowed down, which I guess is why Norwich City felt that they were better served um, employing a recruitment agency to help with that process. And to be clear, a recruitment agency kind of helps them put a list together of candidates, uh, which obviously Norwich compiled eventually a list of, of six. And then they kind of went on by themselves to speak to candidates and, and eventually obviously appoint a candidate. So that's kind of the process. But what do you make of it, Paddy? Because it has it has been long. Um, it's perhaps not... There's perhaps a view at the moment, and I keep saying to people, there's always this view of Norwich as being a very stable club, uh, lots of continuity. It doesn't really change much at top level, um, top downwards, really. There has been a lot of change in, in, in the last six months. I think there is a, a perception, rightly, wrongly, um, amongst some fans that it, it feels like a little bit of a club in, in limbo at the moment. Should, it, it feels really difficult in hindsight to say, oh, well, this should have happened quicker. So I'll rephrase the question. Can you understand why Norwich have taken the time that they have over over this appointment? Yeah, absolutely. But also, and it probably is unique in terms of Norwich's situation, is that unless he's keeping it very well under wraps, I don't think Stuart Webber has uh, an actual, you know, he's not on his way to another football club imminently. We know that situation that he's, he's he's come out and clarified that you know his his uh, his mountaineering is going to be middle of next year I think May June he's going to try and attempt that climb on Mount Everest and uh, so that uh, that immediately tells me that that this side of it i.e the first six months of next year it, we're not going to see him might be famous last words you can replay this clip when it when he gets unveiled at uh, a, another club in January but I don't see him going into football or anywhere in terms of his next job move until he's attempted what he's trying to attempt in the middle of next year, because it would seem a strange one to be unveiled somewhere in, we'll say hypothetically January. And, uh, and then four or five months later, particularly as it's going to be overlapping with a, a summer transfer window um, that he wouldn't be there and he, w- he wouldn't be hands on. So that, that to me suggests that, um, you know, he wasn't in a, an, an immediate desire to move on which is quite unusual I think in terms of those senior positions it's it's normally um somebody in his position has and we'll say another job to go to and uh, and and wishes to do that and then then there's an added urgency is what I'm trying to get at I guess to to Norwich's um replacement search that wasn't the case in this scenario um he was previously on record and saying that he he would never leave Delia and Michael in the lurch because of the debt he felt he owed to them originally when they gave him an opportunity. And um, and as a result, you know, he he felt beholden to them to play some part in the, in the handover process and, and maybe the identification from what we're led to believe. I don't think he was too hands-on in terms of 
uh, the recruitment side of it. But what we do know, what we understand is that there will be a maybe a month or so's handover period where he will work in tandem with Ben Napper. So again, he's, you know, that lends itself to uh, ultimately what they needed to do really, which was get the right appointment. You don't want to rush something and um, because because there's a there's an imperative because in this scenario, Stuart Webb wasn't going to be there. Um and they couldn't really have that sense of drift in what is, in Norwich's model, uh, an absolutely critical football-facing position. He is the football figurehead. Yes, we know Delia and Michael up to this point um, were, were, were the ultimate arbiters of the direction of travel. But but we all know, anybody who's been close to it, who's observed it, that day-to-day he really was calling the shots. And, um, you know, given that autonomy, it was it was absolutely critical um, that they took their time and they got the right person. And and these are there's a lot of questions now that moving forward we probably only will be able to find out or, or ask once he's in post Ben Napper. And maybe not even then. Maybe it'll take a, a period of time for him to acclimatise and, and understand, you know, the remit of I mean, is it a like for like? Is he coming in with the same hand hands-on kind of uh brief that Stuart Webber had across a all areas of the business, or is it going to be a narrowing? Because obviously, I'm, you know, as I'm talking, I'm thinking, well, there's Neil Adams there in the mix in terms of the technical director. How does that work moving forward? How does Ben Napper envisage that aspect moving forward? There's other football operations people there at Colney. You know, will he go in there with a with a an open mind and a, and a clean sheet of paper, and things will change? And it's inevitable that he will want to put his stamp on it. How quickly and in what areas? Um, it's hypothetical at this stage. So, but it feels that they will want a degree of continuity in terms of the remit of the sporting director. I don't see them suddenly pivoting away, even though they're going to call him a sporting director, but he has 50% of the responsibilities that Stuart Webber had. That wouldn't seem to make a lot of sense. It certainly wouldn't suggest there was a degree of continuity to, to this position and how it's viewed within the board level uh, at Norwich City. So, yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't personally have any issue with the, the length of time relative that it's taken. I don't think there was any sense of drift with Stuart Webber. You know, they were pretty proactive in terms of their summer recruitment. You know, him and David Wagner knew what they wanted to do. They, they, they delivered it. Um, current results would, would unfortunately suggest that maybe there's a, there's a, you can take a sideways glance at that recruitment and maybe question one or two things, but that's with the benefit of hindsight. And nobody was saying that after the first six or seven games of this season when it was what a signing Ashley Barnes is, what a piece of business Jack Stacey, Shane Duffy, Christian Fashnacht, the way he hit the ground running. So let's not get caught up too much in sort of where the results are at the minute. But it was quite clear that Stuart Webber wasn't stepping away. I mean, you hear phrases like gardening leave, and it's, I mean, it's pertinent actually that, you know, Kieran Scott who was essentially his close confidant and key lieutenant in terms of recruitment in the early part of um, Stuart Webber's tenure at Cower Road. He was placed on gardening leave and he was essentially out of the business. But obviously prior to him subsequently going and becoming uh, a figurehead, sporting figurehead at, at Middlesbrough. But there was none of that with Stuart Webber. He's, he's been very active. He's been firmly plugged in. Not a lot has changed. You speak to people in and around the football club since that announcement was made public. You know, obviously, it goes back to March, but I think, as you rightly say, Con, it was about June, wasn't it, when when we were told that that was the situation. Um, but day to day, I don't think there's been a huge amount of difference in terms of Stuart Webber's input and leadership now, as opposed to last summer, the summer before. So, yeah, I I wouldn't I wouldn't accept any real sense that 
the length of time that this process has taken has been an issue. It clearly hasn't in terms of the day-to-day working of what they needed to do in the, the window in terms of preparing a team for this season and then the season itself. So, you know, it'd be interesting to have a chat with David Wagner and whether, you know, he, he shared, shares that view or whether it was an unnecessary sort of curveball when, when that news came out at the start of the summer, because, you know, and bringing it right up to date now, it, it, that moving forward is, is a, is a key and interesting part of this equation, you know, where, where do him and Ben Napper sit? Are they on the same page? Do they share the same view of football? Um, I'll put that to David at Coventry on Saturday's game. And of course, he's not going to say anything different. But I mean, from the first initial meeting he had with him, they sat down, talked together for a number of hours, liked a lot of the ideas he heard from Ben Napper and can't wait for him to officially take over. And, and then they can start to develop that relationship further. But, you know, there's so much that will unfold in, in due course with this appointment. But in terms of the process, um, no, I think, you know, from what we're learning about Ben Napper as a candidate, it looks an astute piece of of work from an re- outside recruitment agency and then supplemented by the work that, you know, Zoe Weber and, and, and the rest of the executive committee and then obviously the shareholders and the directors have, have put into this process. And, no, what you wouldn't have wanted is the charge that they they went knee jerk and they made the wrong appointment and um, then you repent at your leisure. So you know, time will tell if it's the right appointment. Um, but they certainly won't be able to be accused that you know they did they they didn't have a forensic process and um, you know even to the point that as we're led to believe it, it wasn't one short list. There was two two or three short lists and um, you know even at that stage of the process there was no we need to get on with this we need to get cracking. Yes, of course. You know, I'm sure there would have been a little bit of frustration maybe from, from fans that, that why couldn't this have been done a little bit sooner? But, you know, as it stands, it looks like, you know, that Ben Napper will have time to work alongside Stuart Webber. And then it would appear from January transfer window onwards, on you go, Ben. So, yeah. Um, and, of course, there might have been a, a, an issue in terms of him and Arsenal and, and, you know, extricating himself from Arsenal in terms of contractually. We don't know that. We're not party to that. But... Yeah, I mean, I'll bowl, I'll bowl that one back to you, Con. I mean, what what are your thoughts? I mean, it was the process elongated? Was it where it needed to be? Would there have been a, a case for it to have been short-circuited and Stuart Webber had departed in the summer and the new person had come in? I mean, where would you sit on it? Yeah, I'm with you, really. I think it's it's. I, I don't get. I don't feel like it was an overly long process. Certainly, no longer than than it would be appointing anyone else in a in a senior position. I think we we've seen that over time. And as a, for the reasons that I've outlined, I think it's. It's a very specific search that you have to do. Therefore, it probably does take longer to to kind of comb through all the candidates and, and find one that, that actually aligns with the direction of travel that you want to take it in. For example, it would have made no sense if Norwich City feel that data is is the area that they want a specialism in for them to pluck someone out of a, a, a kind of youth development or coaching background. You know, that's not to say they would all have been wrong, but um, you have to get someone who is a fit that can kind of um, sit in the centre of your club, as as Ben Napper will do from a footballing perspective, and uh, channel out culture, approaches, ideas, philosophies. All of those are, are going to be from him outwards. So you have to get the right person in order to do that. And there are previous cases um, of Norwich City not doing that. And I think we could we could probably reference Jez Moxie as one of those as a, as a process where they they went they went down a certain line that was the wrong line um maybe uh maybe a haste that was that was too quick so i think there have been some some lessons learned and what else what 
I mean, the other thing I would say is that this is a really attractive job in football, really attractive job, because for the reasons that you outlined there, the amount of autom- autonomy that, um, that Stuart Webber had and, you know, the process that if, if he if he turned up and said, I want to sack the head coach today, he has that power. It's not many sporting directors at many clubs can do that. Um, and obviously lack of inf- uh, interference from from those from those um joint majority shareholders, owners, etc. You you kind of, as Stuart Webber has, has said before, you have to pick the owners, not the club. So I think that there's a real element of that that makes it attractive. And I'm sure there were some, we know there were some some very good candidates for, for this role in particular. So um, I, I think it's a, a really interesting appointment. I was intrigued to see which direction they went down, whether they went would go for someone who was of a slightly different background because Stuart Weber, of course, comes from predominantly a recruitment one and they kind of have, although Ben Napper did did play a role in in Arsenal's recruitment, certainly domestically over over the last few years. Uh, and as you said, Paddy, has been part of their football intelligence team, which is a, a top team that consisted of Mikel Arteta, Edu uh, and Pierre Mertesacker, who's the head of academy, who I think in particular uh, Ben Napper enjoyed a really strong relationship with. So, um yeah, I, I I I think it was all about the right one rather than the the first one, if if that makes sense. And um, I think from from what we know that their due diligence has been really strong. Let's let's um let's let's talk about some of the kind of the other names and other options that we know. Of. I'm, I'm sure uh, most people will be aware and will have heard the name of Rob Newman mentioned uh, amongst this case. I think for for a lot of it, there was a uh, he was one that that was mentioned a lot. Partly, I, I guess, because he's a, a the affiliation that he had with Norwich City as a, a player. He's in a very prominent role at West Ham now as, as head of recruitment. Uh, there's a lot made about him making various Carrow Road visits, which, you know, I think as we pointed out on the podcast before, he has done certainly in the last 18 months pretty regularly. He's local, makes sense for him. I'm sure he's he's looking at the talent that Norwich City have on offer. I think Gabriel Sarra has been linked to West Ham at various points. I would say that's not a coincidence. So, um, I, I think there was a little bit of, of adding two and two and getting five in those. Um, that's not to say he, he wouldn't have been interested, I think, if there was a conversation. But um, some, some really interesting names, Paddy, that, that were in around this this search. Um, what is it about Ben Napper that you think pushed him ahead of, uh, of some of those options? Is it what we're talking about in terms of the specifics of the role and what Norwich City were exactly looking for and his background in terms of data analysis? All of the above, Connor, but... You know who would have driven this process, and that uh, we don't want to, we don't want to definitively make any hard or fast assessments. But I think it's pretty clear that this process was being driven by the current majority shareholders. You know, with all the input from all the other constituent stakeholders. But and why do we think that? Be well, you know, it's been quite clear if we go back to the, the latest sort of cycle of the shares allotments, and and particularly the. Two two and a half years it is now, but that three year agreement for Mark Atanasio to and his group to to vote or, or follow in lockstep with Delia and Michael's wishes in shareholder matters, uh, and this would, I'm sure, have fallen under that remit. Um, and I'm not saying I'm not saying it was exclusively Delia and Michael, but they would have been prime movers in this process, and it would have would have been probably the final the final layer of it, wouldn't it? That, yeah, I mean, but I it ultimate, that, ultimate, as, as it was with Stuart Webber, it was them ultimately probably who made the decision, row, obviously yeah. with Atanasio rowing in as well. Absolutely. Well, you took the words out of my mouth. That's exactly the point. Yeah. That, that I, I think we've gone back to the future here with this and that, that as they were the, the drivers in Stuart Webber being appointed, a, you know, a young in, in the terms of, of the, the role that he, that he is doing in football, you know, mid thirties, the parallels with, with Ben Napper. Um, Slightly different, as you rightly say, Connor, in terms of what their USP was, Stuart Webber and Ben Napper, slightly different, but but not huge 
clear water between the two and, and the jobs that they've previously done. Um, but also, of course, in, in the intervening period from Stuart Webber's appointment, 2017, wasn't it, and to now, and Ben Napper touches on it on the, the, the content that we've referenced earlier, you know, the explosion, the ex- absolute explosion now in the use of data and analysis within top-level football in that five-year time span. Well, this guy is right at the forefront of that. Every stage of his footballing career, um, he he has been le- part of a club in Arsenal who were probably along with Liverpool leading the way in English football in terms of the use and application of data and analysis. Um, I mean, as he says himself in that panel interview, um, you know, when he first started working in analysis, it was kind of basically video analysis and watching video. And, and now it's just it's exponentially much bigger than that. And it's, as I say, it's very heavily computer science based and, uh, and interpreting trends as he, as he also says, you know, it's not, you don't look at game of football and it's just goals and assists. There's far much more data underpinning why a performance turns out the way it does. And he is very clearly seen within the game at the highest levels of the game as somebody who's leading that at the forefront of that. And, and as I say, if you're dealing with Michael, uh, along with all the other stakeholders involved in this process, you're going to look at him. You're going to see the ever increasing reliance on data. The fact that Stuart Weber had put Norwich on that path, and we talked about Dr. John Iger and his team, and the last two or three seasons, then the influence of the Atanasios and the Brewers and how they use data in in Major League Baseball. It's all come together clearly um, and crystallised around one individual, Ben Napper. So, you know. That's why I think he was, despite no serious interest um, from across the football, because as you rightly say, it is a it is a very, in terms of Stuart Webber's job description, it's a very coveted position. There won't be too many sporting directors who could, as you rightly said there, you know, go to Delia and Michael's house and say, the time's come to pull the trigger on Daniel Farker and, um, and not have to sort of wait for a, a yes or a no, or um, I don't agree with you. It was... That's your decision, Stuart. We back you. Go and deliver it. Um, I don't think there's too many sporting directors, technical directors in English football at the top end of the game who would have been able to have that conversation with their de facto owners. Um, so that's why I think if you're Ben Napper, because you, I look at it and I think, well, he's he's really on quite the fast track at Arsenal. And there was even talk about him around the time Edu became sporting director. You know, could he be a, a future sporting director at Arsenal? So, you know, if his star is that high, within an emerging force again in English football, he's looked at it and he's thought, no, I'm seeing what I'm seeing there with Norwich. I'm seeing what I'm seeing there with Stuart Webber, the the job description that Stuart has there. And I want to, I want that job. I want, so, I mean, for me, it's um, it's a huge uh, feather in Norwich's cap, really, that, that somebody of his ilk, of his calibre, of his clearly upward trajectory in the game, um, feels that Norwich is a perfect next career step for him. And, uh, if that is the case, then uh, it, it's going to spark something quite positive and quite uplifting. You know, how long it might take and, and what it looks like, nobody knows. But uh, as a, as a as an appointment, I think you cannot, if you're just a Norwich fan and you don't really have any sense of who Ben Napper was before or, or even what he does or what he might bring to the role. But if you just take a step back and look at it, it has to be hugely exciting because it feels fresh. It feels innovative again and that if you take it right back to when Stuart Webber was first unveiled I mean I don't think there would would have been many clubs in the English Championship that had a sporting director and an overseas head coach in 2017 if any and so at that point 
that was bold and that was innovative. And it, as it transpired within two seasons, they were ahead of the curve because they were romping to the championship title, a lovely brand of football, and they were having a go in the Premier League. Or at least they got into the Premier League. They didn't really have a go, but at least they were competing at the top table. Um, and it, you just hope that when we, we begin this era, um, that maybe the next 12, 18 months, that feeling is there again, that we can look back at this point and say, that was what a piece of foresight to get Ben Napper in and um, how, how well he's driven Norwich forward again and how innovative they've been and how ahead of the curve and other clubs in the championship as they were in 2018, 19, looking at Norwich and thinking, we need to do that. We need to follow them. We need to emulate what they're doing on and off the pitch. Because I think we'd all agree, certainly in the last post, well, second time round and the Premier League onwards, it hasn't felt like that. It's felt a bit tired, a bit end of era, a bit, you know, time for a reset a little bit. And and obviously now, not just with Ben Napper, but with what's happening with the Atanasio group, you get that sense that this is just about a new era, I think, um, in the next few months. And uh, if you're a Norwich fan and particularly with what a certain team over the border are, are doing at the minute, you, you want that. You want something optimistic to look forward to, to feel that, OK, yeah, it's not been great maybe the last two years or so on and off the pitch, but um, but the club have recognised that. They're trying to do something about it. And then then we'll see. We'll see. Then it will rest on the shoulders of Ben Napper and the people he employs around him. And, uh, and as you rightly say, the cultures that he sets as almost the focal point of a new way for Norwich. Yeah, let's uh, let's let's have a little look um, through his through his CV, which it does make for for real interesting reading. As as you mentioned earlier on, Paddy, uh, University of Hull graduate, uh, it was a sports coaching and performance uh, degree that that he did. He was then uh, very quickly parachuted into a, a first team uh, performance analyst role at Scunthorpe United in, in between 2007 and 2009, which for context is is uh, during that that high point in that club's history. Obviously, very difficult times for for them at the moment and, and hopefully they're, they're going to emerge out of them um, pretty soon. But that, that was during the Nigel Adkins, Scunthorpe in the Championship, League One Championship kind of uh, run, Gary Hooper, that, that that kind of period in in that club's history. So it's a good good place to kind of start your career. He then moves on to, to ProZone Sports, which we've spoken about before, is um, a company that kind of dealt with, over well, deals now of over 300 football clubs, but I'm sure back then it was, it was probably slightly fewer than that. But they got Arsene Wenger on board pretty early on. And, and, and got endorsement from him and um, therefore he, that's kind of where he first got introduced to Arsenal because he, he was kind of working for ProZone w- dealing with Arsenal and impressed to such an extent um, that they moved him across and, and, and he became a football analyst in July 2010 and that's when his relationship with, with that football club um, began and again this would have been for an extensive period under Arsene Wenger. He would have been a part of Arsene Wenger's analysis team. And you think about how innovative Arsene Wenger has been in terms of the English game generally, but certainly with data as well. Um, I, I think that's 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 worth a mention. And again, 2015, after five years' service as, as an analyst, he gets promoted to a, to a lead football analyst, again, under Arsene Wenger. So he's Arsene Wenger's um, person who, who gives him lots of information about opposition and game plans and is involved in those kind of aspects of it. Again, heavily leaning on data. Um, and that becomes the, the theme of this. Gets another promotion. Again, uh, also worth mentioning that obviously he was there as well under Unai Emery for, for a period as well as his um, lead football analyst. So, so two really good mentors there and uh, one 
one of the Premier League's best ever coaches and, and certainly a, a very, very good coach in the game who's won Europa Leagues and obviously now Aston Villa and doing very well there. And 2019 is when he made the transition to become loans manager at Arsenal, which uh, I know can can kind of get thrown to the side a little bit. But as Paddy said, there's loads of different strands to that. Um, and, you know, certainly in, in some places he was being spoken about as a potential sporting director for the for the future. And, and certainly when you look at Edu's quotes, um, which I may find when, when you're speaking, actually, Paddy, there's, there's a, a lot of warmth in there for, for Ben Napper and, and the job that he did at Arsenal, which over a prolonged period of time, you mentioned uh, William Saliba, even to the extent of Emil Smith-Rowe and uh, other players like that. There's been uh, real hard work that, that he's done, but also players who maybe don't have uh, a future at the football club. Just to read you those words from Edu, because I've got them in front of me now. Uh, this was uh, last Friday, these came out. He said, obviously, uh, upon Napa's move to Norwich, he said, we're so proud that Ben has been appointed sporting director at Norwich City, of course. We're all sad that Ben is leaving us because he is a top professional and person, and we have enjoyed a great working relationship together. He has been a huge asset to us during his career at Arsenal, where he's developed through our performance analysis teams to become our highly successful loans and pathway manager. Ben has played a key role in the positive development of so many of our men's players over the years, where he's driven a part of our football strategy to give our players the best possible experience to ensure they return to us with enhanced qualities to continue their careers uh, with us or elsewhere. We're proud to have uh, given Ben the op- uh, op- the sorry. We are proud to have given Ben the opportunity to develop his own career too, and we wish him all the best in his new chapter with Norwich City. And whilst this kind of point about uh, data has been made a lot, and quite rightly, um, I think there's also hints that there are the roles that he's played in terms of youth development, slightly different in terms of being an academy manager and maybe having a a real hands-on role in how a player improves on one skill to two skills. But in terms of creating pathways for development, I remember when William Saliba and a lot of Arsenal fans were going, why is this guy out on loan? And actually he's come back and suddenly looks like one of the Premier League's best performers. That kind of feels like it's a point that's been lost under the radar as well. He's been very good at mapping out pathways and successful pathways for players to either return into into Arsenal's first team. We've given countless examples and he's very popular in doing so or um, actually raising funds. And that can be on a very micro level as well. I know people are, are mentioning the Marquinhos loan, but there are others as well into League One clubs, into League Two clubs that has eventually either led to them getting a, a, a deal elsewhere that has uh, set them up to go and have a career as a footballer, even not at Arsenal, um, but also has probably generated funds for the club as well. So um, that's a, that's an interesting strand to it. I think we're, we're going to come on to comments and questions because we've had, um, we've had loads of them, but we, we will come up come back to to speak about his his pathway in a moment these are these are um comments and questions that have been sent in on x and also facebook um uh, let's start with and i guess a lot of these are probably forward looking uh <laughs> very good one from yellow says does he have any ambitions to climb everest in the near future not that we know of um not that we know of but good work uh dr dublin again very similarly light-hearted one so we'll we'll brush these ones aside uh he says has he visited morrison's and if so what's his favorite aisle i'm sure he will he'll get to sample the the delicacy of, of morrison's when he visits uh Carrow road so there we go um go on paddy no, I'll just, I'll just, is that just the proximity of it to Car Road? There's no other yeah, I think so, yeah, 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 I think so. I mean, Farker, um, was, Farker used to be photobombed in Morrison's, didn't he, a few times? Yeah, but... he, was a, he was a Sainsbury's man, wasn't he? I think he liked, I think he <laughs> used to dabble in Sainsbury's, yeah. Um, 
uh, we've had a question here which says, what's the remit from the board? Many people seeking a reset, which uh, could have justifiably been done in the summer, but chose not to. I think we've we've spoken about why that was the case. Are we now looking to shape it up and get self-funding back on the agenda or keep stability with our aging team? And I guess this is this is probably something that we, we kind of have to wait for Ben himself to speak about, Paddy, but it probably feels like Norwich are in need of a new project, doesn't it? Uh, well, it does. Again, it's very, you know... We have this conversation six weeks ago and they're unbeaten, and then, then no is the answer. So you do have to take a step back from the current cycle of results. Um, but what is not in doubt is when you do go and recruit a, a Duffy, a, a Barnes, a, maybe Stacey to a lesser extent, and a Fashion Act, you're not building for the mid to, to longer term. There's, there's no project element to that. It's in the here and it's in the now, this season or next. Um so if you're Ben Napper and, and you ex, you're expecting to be here for a period of time and, and 14 years stint at Arsenal would tell you, you know, he's not he's not looking to move on after 18 months in in this role. So if he wants to build something sustainable, but then you could argue that, you know, if he's a pragmatist as well, um, you know, you as long as the results uh, are matching the profile of players that are currently here at the football club, then you can kind of do in, t- in like a two-step approach. You can have the... In the in the short term, you know, uh, a, a squad which is competitive in the championship, and if it all came together, who knows? Or while you're um, putting in those processes, if you think they're not there at the moment, and uh, you know, we've we talked a lot about it from Norwich's perspective, this process, this recruitment process, but from Ben Napper's perspective, I'm sure he will have, because it's it's implicit in the type of career path he's had and and, and the areas that he's worked with in football, he will have done serious amounts of forensic research on Norwich. He'll have spoken to people, he'll have people he values and trusts who may be able to offer some insight into to Norwich and how they operate. People that probably you know Stuart Weber have worked with Stuart Weber in the past, that wouldn't have surprised me. So, you know, in terms of looking under the bonnet, I, I think he will have a very good idea of what is already in place, what aligns with his own thinking, what maybe he needs to change and how fast he, he feels he needs to do that. And all of those things, none of that. No, there's been no red flags there. Otherwise, he's not being unveiled as Norwich's sporting director. So, you know, it goes back to the point about why is he leaving Arsenal? Um, because he thinks Norwich is the next stage in his career. And he obviously clearly views himself as a sporting director, technical director. And um, and if you, I guess, if you, if you know, without wanting to map out his career for him, but it, but if you if you want to do that at the highest highest level, he's going to have to go and prove himself somewhere. And um, and he must feel. Um, given the autonomy Stuart Weber has had, that Norwich is a very good fit and a, and a very good environment within which he can uh, he can put his processes into place. So, um, yeah, I think, of course, all of that <laughs> it runs up alongside what happens if they don't win enough games of football between now and December, um, and they're adrift in the Championship, and and it's looking like they're not going to be able to mount a serious assault on promotion in the second half of the season, then, you know, where do we go then? Does he have to fast track his plans? Does he have to make that change in terms of the head coach? Um, I guess we'll get some clues, you know, in terms of uh, his thinking when we get to January and the window and, you know, within the confines and the parameters of maybe what he's got to play with financially. But, you know, how how big he goes in terms of the volume of business he does in January, um, a notoriously difficult window anyway, we know that, but, but if he, if he, you know, if we're, if we're talking a bit more surgery rather than tweaks, then, 
then implicit in that is that he doesn't feel the squad is kind of where he wants it to be or or it can deliver what he wants it to deliver in terms of his philosophy, uh, his template moving forward, um, which would then pose some serious questions around David Wagner. So that will become clear in pretty short order, I think, once we get to the January window. Um, but for now, really, his priority is just to get himself in the building, take stock. I don't. I don't see anybody coming in and immediately firing the head coach. Hypothetically, that would seem very strange to me. Even if the results aren't where they need to be, I think he needs a period of to assess from the inside rather than looking from the outside. And um, but but I don't get the. I mean, he's not going to want to preside over drift and uh, and uh, kind of a, a replication of last season. You know, mediocrity, mid-table mediocrity. So. No, he's coming in with a view to putting his stamp on this football club, and it it really is, and we don't really know because we we haven't had any real touch points with him. The type of personality is we don't know if he is one of those will go in and disrupt and and you know want to to upset a few people, or whether he's more of a. I get my my sense from everything you piece together is he's a bit more of a a facilitator and um, you know somebody who would 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 rather through persuasion rather than you know maybe carrot rather than stick in terms of how he manages people and how he builds relationships. Um, and it would seem quite a strange tactic to suddenly come in and, you know, essentially turn the table upside down immediately. So I, I think there will be a period of him just observing, um, making assessments, making judgments. But ultimately, as we said, I think uh, on the podcast on Sunday after the Coventry game, results will dictate the speed of what happens in terms of the David Wagner and, and Ben Napper relationship because, because, you know, if the results aren't where they need to be, then it will need to be shook up and it will be Ben Napper who has to do the shaking up. So, yeah, it, that for the reason alone, it's very hard to second guess the speed that this could move along at in the interim, in the short term. But, yeah, I'd imagine in an ideal world, he wants to come in the results are such that they're in and around that top six come the turn of the year. He can then supplement what's already in the building in January. And then under this head coach, with the likes of Sergeant, with the likes of Barnes back, they can have a real good go at trying to get into that top six for the rest of the season. And then, of course, that pace of change is easier to facilitate because you're not having to, you know, essentially rip the whole thing up and start again. But, you know, Time will tell. Again, we haven't spoken to him, so we don't know what his philosophy is. But if you've been part of the Arsenal culture for 14 years in terms of style of play, I think we had a question or two on this topic on the Q&A on Monday. You know, you would feel, he's a particularly if his formative influences were Arsene Wenger, that he wants to play possession-based football. And that's not really David Wagner, I don't think, template, if I'm honest. Certainly not the players they've recruited uh, in the summer were to fit in with that style of football. So... That's why I think we, we might have a twin track approach, that it will be start of processes that will, will maybe bear fruit further down the track. But allied to that, of course, he will be judged, as will David Wagner and those players, on what they can produce over these coming months in the championship. And and if it's not good enough, if, if it's below expectations, then there will have to be some changes. And clearly, from January onwards, it will be Ben Napper who's making those changes. Yeah, and the difference is obviously I think Stuart Webber arrived in March, didn't he? At a point where the season was was basically dead, so that kind of assessment period was radically different for him than it will be for for Ben Napo when he's joining mid-season. There's a transfer window 
literally a month after he joins. That wasn't the case for, for Stuart Webber. Norwich didn't have a, uh, a manager when, when Stuart Webber or a head coach when Stuart Webber arrived. Um, so it's a completely different situation that, that he is inheriting for now. Obviously, that could look radically different in a in a few weeks or so. <clears throat> let's, uh, let's rattle a few, a few more of the, of the comments. Uh, ben on, on Facebook has said, do you think it's problematic to bring in someone so young? Uh, most managers will be older and more experienced than him. Uh, and then he's added, let's put it this way, how would Paddy like it if Connor was his boss? I think that, I think that's a fantastic idea. I don't see any issue with that whatsoever. So I don't know I don't, what he's talking about there. Or... It's ages but a number, Connor. Is, so ability to well, I, 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 let, me, let me rephrase that because I think a point that I've seen made in, in some quarters is, well, he's not been a sporting director before. When Stuart Weber arrived, he had been, I think he was head of football operations at Huddersfield, a similar job with, with different titles, whichever club you, you go at. Do you view that as being potentially problematic or is it, as I said earlier, which I probably my view that it's just kind of par for the course given the relative newness of this role in this in this country yes and no I mean football is changing football is evolving and as, as we just discussed from the time Stuart Webber arrived at Norwich to now in short order Ben Napper's arrival um, the demands maybe of that type of role whatever label you want to attach to it sporting director technical director head of football operations um, they have changed. You know, they have changed. There's some fundamentals, obviously, being able to recruit well and um, you know develop talent. If you're Norwich, in terms of their model, that they're they're still relevant now as they were like five six years ago. But you know, clearly there are other skills sets that wouldn't have been Stuart Weber's strong point, but but are now needed. And data being the obvious one, data and analysis. And this guy, as I say, time will tell. But he would appear to be uh, a very astute. Uh, operator in that area so no for me in terms of he's never been a sporting director can he do the job it's more less the recruitment side less about developing players um, identifying players um, harnessing what you're trying to do in terms of uh, push players through to a first team environment it it's because you know unless we subsequently learn differently I don't think he would have dealt too many sit times with the senior element, you know, how you handle senior players. And Norwich, as we know now, have a lot of senior players in that dressing room dynamic, you know, because it's about respect, isn't it? It's about getting that respect, that mutual trust, building that. Um, and that's probably easier to do when you're coming at it from dealing with younger players uh, in an academy setting as it is to, you know, players who've had a, a few laps around the block and know what it's all about and maybe need a bit more convincing um, of a, direction that you may want to take them in that's slightly different to where they are now in terms of Norwich City. So that's my interest in terms of that aspect, you know, at parts of the job that he may not have done too too often before in his career, how will he handle that? But, you know, if he's as uh, astute as he would appear to be and as, you know, um, clever in terms of the career that he's built himself and the people he's worked with, I mean, why wouldn't you, if you're a not even going to name a senior player at Norwich, but but hypothetically one of the senior players, and you look at this guy coming from Arsenal where he's worked with Arteta and Edu and he's, you know, he's developed the likes of, you know, Smith Rowe and, um, you know, or played a part in, should we say, the likes of Saka and what have you. Why wouldn't you want to buy into what this guy could bring? Because they, like we, like the fan base, they want it to come together for Norwich and Norwich to go on and start to achieve again and start to overachieve probably. So if this guy and you're a senior player in this dressing room in a minute, you feel he can take you there, you're going to row in behind, aren't you? As they did when Stuart Webber first arrived and they started maybe after the first season, but they started to see the the benefits of what 
could potentially accrue under Daniel Farker. So, yeah, that for me would be, if I, if I had to pinpoint one area that we just don't know by looking at what he's done in his career before, it would be how you handle those senior players. Um, I think everything else is, is pretty much transferable uh, in terms of the skill sets he may have needed at Arsenal to what he's going to need in this job. Um, again, I'll bowl that one back to you, Connor. What would you say on that front about he's never been a sporting director? Yeah, no, no different to me to a head coach that hasn't been a head coach. Um, plug numerous names out of, out of the air if if, if you want. Um, uh, the one that I can't keep budging from is Kieran McKenna because it's the most popular one at the moment. But hadn't been a head coach before he he went to Ipswich. He's doing a you know irrespective of obviously the the rivalries and divides and whatnot. He's doing an unbelievable job at. Uh, at Portman Road, we could list several other examples. Uh, Mikel Arteta, he hadn't been a manager before he was uh, appointed at Arsenal. He's done a very good job. So I, I don't think it's it's ne- a necessary requirement. And I think we've, and even though Stuart Webber did have a, a job as a, as a, in his head of football operations at Huddersfield, you wouldn't say he was vastly experienced when he came from Norwich City. He was still in the uh, in the formative years of his of, of his um, of his role as a sporting director. So I, I don't see it as a as a as a prerequisite. I think it's something that that can be developed. He's obviously got very very good um, aspects that he can lean on and take into the job. There'll be bits that he'll need to learn. He will make mistakes inevitably as well as as is the nature of it because he'll need to take risks in in this role as every sporting director who uh, works at Norwich City will need to do. So I, I don't see the age as an issue because. Ultimately, I think football is not like it was 20 years ago. And I think uh, the modern player is capable of not necessarily looking at authority in that kind of uh, historical way. If they need to be older than me, they need to wear dress in a certain way, look a certain way. Actually, it's it's going to be how he deals with these players. After, of course, the initial, he was at Arsenal and that, that gets him through the door in terms of dealing with players, then it's going to be about how good he is in, in those interactions and and uh, and with staff as well. So I, I don't think it's a necessary requirement. I think it's um, I think it's pretty good that Norwich have gone for for someone like that. And, and to be honest, it's kind of the route that I felt they would um, they would they would go down. Just to to get a final few comments and questions. If we haven't read yours, I'm, I, I apologise. Um, Rick Griffin on X formerly Twitter, and said, I, I, I'm glad we've appointed from outside rather than just promoted Neil Adams. Of course, Neil Adams has got a promotion as a technical director, but anyway, uh, but he said, but like everyone else, I've got no idea what he's going to be like. Hopefully he'll continue promoting from the academy. I feel we need a new head coach, though, not convinced by David Wagner. Uh, Dickon has said, uh, how much uh, were the Atanasios involved in the appointment? Uh, were they driving this or taking a back seat? They were involved. They uh, they they did sign it off. So, yeah, as, as we've mentioned, they they did play a part in this. It wasn't a case of uh, someone told them one day that this was going to be the case. They have been involved in, in the process throughout and have been working with Delia and Michael uh, throughout as well. And then Alex has asked, which will be our final question, um, about other candidates that were in the running slash close to getting job the job and uh, also was Napa the first choice. Uh, Paddy, just to, to kind of throw that one at you, I mean, we've kind of spoken about uh, some of the People who weren't involved, Rob Newman, Lee Bromby, I think were uh, Newman probably more publicly. Lee Bromby, I think, was being muted in football circles for a little while as someone who who was going to get the job. Those two didn't even make the, the short list of six, as we understand it. Um, talk to us a little bit about some of those those names who who may well have been in the frame. Well, I mean, we obviously wasn't party to the process in terms of the, the inner sanctum of it all, but you know, there's names such as. Manchester United's academy director, uh, Nick Cox, am I right in saying, Connor? Um, he, by all accounts, was was one of the ones who uh, was on those 
lists of potential candidates quite a long way down the, those lists as well, um, if we're led to believe correctly. So, um, you know, you throw one or two other names in, in as well, Connor. Uh, yes, Steve Hitchin, who was at Tottenham, a recruitment chief. Thank you, someone that Stuart Webber knew well. Worked at Liverpool with with Damien Camoli. Uh, helped with the Ollie Skip loan deal as well. Um, uh, I'm sure friends with uh, Stuart Webber. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dean, Dean Rastic is someone as well who I, I think had an interest in it. I'm not sure how how far down into the process he got, but he's certainly someone who, who wanted it. I think he's got a Norfolk background. He may well be at the FA now, but formerly uh, involved in Spurs Academy. Uh, so there, there's a flavour of some of the names there. I think we've we've also been told subsequently of a few people who who used to work for the club, which we won't name, who, who were quite interested in it as well. So um, that's an interesting uh, bit as well. So that gives you the kind of flavour of some of the people who who may be in the in in and around the process. Just finally then, then Paddy, as we close the pod, um, I'll, I'll throw this at you and then I'll probably answer it as well. November the 27th, Ben Napper drives or walks or bikes. I don't know how he, how he travels. It's up to him. He comes into, into the Colney training center. Um, what is the first item that is in his in-tray? What's the, what's the first thing that he needs to look at to address, resolve, decide what, what do you feel is his most pressing issue? Well, I think between now and that point, I think I'm right in saying, did we count it up the other day? There's about six championship six games. Games. Yeah, yeah. six games. Some tough ones in there on paper anyway. You know, Leeds, Borough, Blackburn. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll read them to you, shall I? I mean, yeah. you've, listed the, you've listed the next three, uh, which are obviously Daniel Farkas leads at, at Carrow Road, which is uh, going to be uh, spicy, I think, as, as Daniel Farker used to used to say. Uh, let me try and find Norwich City's fixtures, which is proving a little bit difficult. Uh, but yeah, it's it's Leeds. Then it's Middlesbrough at home. Then they uh, then they travel to Sunderland. So those three in particular are going to be difficult. It's going to be interesting to see how Norwich City get on with those. Uh, then it's Blackburn at home on November the fifth. Then Cardiff away on November the eleventh. Then we pause for another international break. Deep joy, and then Norwich City play QPR at home on November the twenty. Fifth, and that's the weekend before uh, Ben Napper starts on the Monday. On the Tuesday night, Norwich City travel to Watford. So there's yeah. Uh, yeah, one, two, three, four, five, yeah, six games before he officially takes the reins. Although you would probably expect him to be at Carrow Road for that QPR game on the 25th of November, I would say. You would, as he's now officially left Arsenal. Um, but you asked me uh, a few minutes ago what would be in at the top of his intray. Well, if they haven't managed to pick up a, a haul of points from this clump of games we've just discussed to put them, well, at least keep them in more or less the territory they're in at the minute. It, and I don't mean position in the table, more points to that top six um, conversation, then that will be his priority because and what hand he'll have been dealt then if he walks in to uh, you know, a, a squad and a, and a coach and a coaching staff who uh, are firmly on the back foot. You know, um, we don't need to over-interpret, you know, some of the reaction from the travelling fans at Plymouth and Coventry most recently. But, you know, there is that. It is there underneath the surface. Um, and if the home form, which was hitherto, basically propped them up in terms of four wins from five this season, if that heads in the wrong direction and they're not able to address the issues they've had recently on the road, then, you know, I can only see an acceleration in that feeling of frustration. Uh, in terms of more broadly across the fan base. Um, but let's just keep it in perspective for now. But, you know, it's a very doom-laden doom end to this uh, discussion about what should be a positive era. But, um, you know, if it pans out that they really haven't 
injected any momentum in the next six or seven games, then his, let's be honest, let's not cut it any other way, his first priority will be what happens to David Wagner, won't it? Yeah, and it, it underpins just how, even though this is a long-term role, how much there is still to sort, sort Sorry, in, in the short term. And that, of course, is going to be down to Ben Napper. I think that brings us to a, a nice close. We could talk for another hour, I'm sure, but um, I think we'd be very much dealing in the realms of hypothetical. So hopefully that's given you a little bit of an insight into him. We've answered some of your questions. We've looked at him. We've spoken about the process. We've spoken about how we got here, what the future might look like. And uh, yeah, giving you a little bit of the lowdown on Norwich City's new sporting director, who uh, is currently probably enjoying uh, a nice break somewhere. I don't know this, but probably somewhere hot, I would imagine, uh, before he he takes over at Norwich City. But I'm sure he'll be acutely aware of uh, the events that are unfolding at Carrow Road, at Colney, and uh, before he he starts next month. And it will embark what is the latest, it feels like we've had loads of new eras recently in Norwich City, but the latest new era at the football club. And here is to hopefully a successful one. Thank you very much for listening. We will see you uh, after the Leeds game now, probably um, after the international break. You've got two pods there to to fill your your two weeks with and uh, we'll see you again very soon. Thanks for watching slash listening.